to hear from Swelly. I, and I apologize for a half-naked child. <laughs> she just turned up like this. <laughs> but um, why don't we give Swelly a round of applause. We're in a self-service church, clearly, these days. <laughs> I don't know, the pastors are away for a week and it all falls. No. <laughs> Thanks, Ryan and Leanne. I, I so value worship. I, um, I think when I first started coming to church, I couldn't keep a straight face for about six months singing songs. Bit of a strange thing, but I tell you, it really does get you into the place, doesn't it? Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Perno, for being so open as well this morning, mate. <clears throat> well, clearly in my family, all I'm really good for is treats. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, what do they say, uh, in the Valley of the Blind, the one-eyed man is king. It's pretty easy when you live in the world of kale. Anything's a treat. But I do thank my wife because I'd probably look like the size of a house if it wasn't for her. So, uh, so I, I reiterate what everyone's probably said this morning. A very happy Father's Day to everyone in the house who is a father. And um, I'm sure every father in the house sort of thinks about all those things. Am I, have I done it right? Have I done the, the best I can? And all that stuff. And, um, and I do acknowledge that for some people this day, is a, it can be a sad day. Yeah. Um, and for some, you know, they've had poor examples or they have fathers that are not here anymore. Um, you know, for me, I was very lucky. I had an incredible dad. Anyone who's had the pleasure of meeting my dad, he's, he's a unique individual and he's certainly showed me how to be a patient man and how to, um, yeah, just how to, he's just sound, sound. I don't think there's any other way to describe my dad. Doesn't pull punches, you know what I mean? Oh, I've got to tell you a funny story. You guys all know Glennie, yeah? Remember Glennie, Glennie Thurston, you know, owns the shop, yeah? <clears throat> there was a time when, <laughs> he's going to probably hate that I tell this story. No, he's all right. Um, he's not here, so anyway. So Glennie, he bought this moped. I don't know if you guys ever remember. He bought this moped. It looked amazing. It was one of those little sort of mopeds that had things that looked like one of those European ones. All these dangly bits look awesome. He comes to me and goes, it's not working properly. It doesn't go fast enough. It doesn't go. And anyway, I looked at it and I thought, it looks all right to me and that. But I'll get my dad. My dad's a mechanic, fitter and turner in one of those very lateral men that just can fix and do anything. Anyway, he gets this bike and he looks at it and he just, he reads the manual and looks at it for a little while and he gets, and he looks at Glennie and he goes, Glennie, this is a girl's bike. <laughs> and you can imagine what Glenn's like, what do you mean? And he goes, no, no, I'm not being, this is a girl's bike. It's only 50cc, you're too big. There's no way this thing's going to work properly. So that's my dad, yeah. He doesn't sort of, uh, <clears throat> doesn't matter who you are. Anyway, I better get back to what we're going to talk about. <clears throat> so, whether you've had a good father or a father that's not been a great example, I think there's two truths you really need to understand. One is that we do have a father in heaven, yeah, and he is a perfect example. He is always going to be on your side. You are a child of God. You are loved. You have an eternal purpose. You have a heavenly realm that eagers, eager to see you do well, yeah, and you have a father that, you know, will be with you and he will form you into the best version of you that you will ever be, Yeah. So depending on whatever father you have had, whether it be something, someone who inspires you or someone you go, I'm going to do the opposite to with that, at the end of the day you have a heavenly father. And I think the other thing you need to understand with about the father in heaven is that he can turn all experiences to good. 
doesn't matter what it is, whatever's happened in your life, he will can turn it for good. And the, certainly the story that I'm going to use today will certainly hopefully illustrate that. So whether you've had a good example or a poor, I think just keep those things in your mind. You know, you, we all have a heavenly father and we certainly, he can turn all things for good. Now when I sit back and I start to think about the role of a father, because it's one of those things, you know, you sort of get into it and it's all a bit hazy probably in uh, your stage at the moment that Dean and Rosie are in, it's all a bit hazy, but then you get out the other end, you start to try to think about what sort of a father am I going to be and how am I going to do that well. And I think the reality to that is, is that I have to be the best version of me. How you be the, a good mother, how you be a good father, is that you try to be the best version of who you are. And again, I think the father is trying to do that. So that's certainly what I probably want to look at today. So how do I do it well? And I think that some things you actually have to learn I don't think that you can just instantly be a great father, yeah? I think it's not one of those things that you just like, oh, you're a father. And unfortunately for some people, that's all they do rely on, that they've physically become a father, and that's it. But the reality is, I think, to become a good father, or to certainly be a father that God wants you to be, is that you do have to learn it, okay? And um, so I think that there is, you know, and again, Christ spent most of his time walking around teaching and, and, and teaching people, yeah, and being disciples and stuff, um, so I think that it's something we need to learn. And again, I found it fascinating, and Lynn brought it to our attention the other week. And again, it was a little side comment from you, but I thought it was very sound. And it was about how, um, you know, how the, uh, Jesus taught and how Paul and all those guys like a rabbi taught. You know what I mean? These people actually had to live with them and follow them and go everywhere with them. So it wasn't that you just stood here at church and said something and then off you went home and could do whatever you want. And, you know, the reality is anyone can do that. Nobody really knows what goes on behind people's closed doors. But the reality is if you're a rabbi, these people, they live with you. They went everywhere with you. You know what I mean? And I think that's a fascinating way to teach because it actually makes it far more real. And I think that's like being a father and being a mother, you know. It's actually something that's real. And I think that's why it's so hard and that's why it's so meaningful because knowing and doing are two worlds apart. Yeah? And uh, so I think that's where sort of things come down to that ground level. And I think the importance of teaching people and the importance of teaching the next generation is something that we really need to take seriously, yeah? And I certainly know for myself now that I take it seriously. And a good example, and bless Paul Zach, he's not in the room. It's unfortunately when your dad preaches, you're going to be the examples of things, aren't you? So, <laughs> and this is, reflects more poorly on me than it does Paul Zach. So the other week, got Zach your phone, you know, bowed to that pressure. Anyway, that's a debate we can all talk to. Uh, anyway, he got a, he's got his phone number, and I looked at it, and the last numbers of his phone number are 007. And I said, I said, oh, just like James Bond. And he looks at me going, what do you mean? And I'm like, you know, just like James Bond. He's like, what? I don't even know who James Bond is. We vaguely heard him and stuff. And I'm like, oh. So then anyway, it was at his party and he had his mates and his mates took the absolute mick out of him that he didn't know who James Oh, I've heard of him, he says, and stuff like that. Anyway, he sort of got over that. It was a bit of a running joke for the party because the boys slept over and stuff. Anyway, we were driving to church last, <laughs> last week and we're in the car and someone brought this, you know, 007 up, James Bond again, and he sits in the back and he goes, look, you know, stop having a go at me. I actually know who James Boz was. I just didn't know that his phone number was 007. <laughs> and, and, we, and we all wet ourselves. We wet ourselves. But as I, as I reflected, I thought, that's sad on me. I've never taught my son about James Bond. So there is an importance that you should never just assume that people know what's going on or know what's things. So, <clears throat> poor Zach. Anyway, I think he's sort of into it now. <laughs> because I think the reality is if we don't teach people and if we're not taught, 
then there's going to be lots of things and people out there that will teach you. Yeah? If we don't teach our children or the next generation, there are lots of things out there. If we don't teach our church, if we don't teach our families, there's lots of things out there. Society will do it really well for you. Yeah? And if you don't think that society is so honed these days, yeah, all these phones and input we have for everything, you know, it's, it's a ridiculous machine. Yeah, the reality is behind it, the algorithms, all these things they have on their phones, it's, it's there, yeah? Now, it's all to sort of get our attention. It's to buy things, to influence us things, you know? Friends, friends will influence you. Sometimes they'll be good, sometimes they'll be poor sort of friends, you know what I mean? Sometimes we have friends in our lives because they lift us up. Sometimes we have friends just because they work with us or they're our next-door neighbour or for whatever reason, yeah? So sometimes you need to see, sort of think, are they going to be people that are beneficial for us? Our families... I'm not going to say anything more to that because I'm sure for every person, you know, I mean, there's family members that are awesome and there are family members that, well, you just wonder how they got into the family. There's jobs. Well, we've all probably got some of them. I know that's harsh. But um, there's jobs and careers. Do they define us? Do our jobs and our careers define us? Are they the things that we are known for? Yeah? Do past experiences, do events control who we are as people, yeah? Do they speak more to our life than anything else in our life, yeah? Do our beliefs and our values, yeah? I mean, I would hope that they were sort of be central to ours, but sometimes we can all have, and I'm sure if you actually took a survey of all of us in here, we'd have probably vast differences in our beliefs and our values, you know, even though there would be some at the core. Or I think at the worst of it all, your own voice, yeah? That self-talk in your head. Yeah, which can probably be the most critical thing in the world. Yeah, forget about anything external or anything that the media is going to tell you. Probably the worst talk that anyone will ever hear is that little voice in your own head. I'm pretty lucky; I don't really listen to it at all, but it's there. I know <clears throat> that one that tells you you're a bit of an imposter, that you can't do this, that why are you here, why are you preaching, you can't preach, what are you doing? Yeah, those sorts of things. So I think to, for us. And the reality is, I think, if we don't base our learning and our teaching and our stuff off the Bible or what God says about us or about our situations or about anything, then it's, it's, there's no anchor. There's no anchor in your life. There is nothing for you to hold on to. And sometimes, you know, people unfortunately have used this book to bash people with, do this, don't do that. But the reality is this is something that saves people's souls. It gives them an anchor. I look at people outside and stuff like that. I don't ever get... You know, it gives you that humble heart if you see people that have no anchor in their life. You know, and, you know, recently we were in a vet, you know what I mean? Chew, me and Chewie were certainly at an event where you can see people that don't have an anchor for their soul, you know? And it's the saddest thing. And I think if there's anything that should drive us on to be around people and want to be with people is that you don't have an anchor for their soul. Yeah. So I think that that's what I sort of want to delve into today. And again, in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is used... And is useful for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, correcting, sorry, and training in righteousness, so that the servants of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So what's the book for? It's for so we can all learn, so we can all become, we understand who God talks about us and what, what he says about us, yeah? So I think it's important that we understand that that's what the book should do. Um, so that today I'm going to be teaching out of the book of Acts. Um, and I think it's, a, it's an in sort of an important book, I sort of uh, think, and again, to sort of understand the, the, the roots of it and stuff, is that this is the risen Christ, yeah? There's a lot of the books of the Bible that all talk about Christ on his ministry before, but this, is, this starts off with Christ as a risen Christ. 
And what does Christ talk about when he's sort of with the people and stuff before he goes? Yeah? Does anyone remember? Just as a ballpark, one of the, things, the main things he talks about. What's he say he's going to leave behind? He's going to leave the Holy Spirit, yeah? He says, I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit and stuff, and, I'm going to, um, and it's going to equip you that you can tell everyone about me, yeah? And I think we have to understand that's a really big deal. You're talking about the presence of God. Before this time, before Christ did what he did, the reality is the only people that had access to this level of, the Holy, of that's, that presence of God was the high priests and the holy of holies, Yeah? Does that make sense? That was only, you know, you could only go through the priests on your behalf and stuff. The reality was that after this, Christ embodied that and then he said, I'm going to leave you this. I'm going to leave you the presence of God that's going to be in you. Yeah? The boys, the apostles, the apostles before Christ rose and then after he rose were two entirely different people. Yeah? Beforehand, they seemed to be those bumbling boys that always got it wrong. Bless them. You know, I mean, I think they're in there for good examples of how to not get something and stuff like that. But after, after, they were passionate people that went to the nth degree to, 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 to take the word of God to everywhere, to most of their deaths. Yeah? So different people. So what was it? What was it that changed? What was it that changed? Is it they had the Holy Spirit with them? Yeah. Now it says over in Luke 24, 45, it says, then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. Yeah, so they could open their minds, you know. So the reality is, what does the Holy Spirit do in our life? It actually opens this up. It opens up the scriptures in our life so they become meaningful things that we can actually hang our, hang our souls on. As opposed to just listening to someone who sounds, oh, that sounds like a great idea. And I think that that's a, well, I don't know, that struck me as a huge thing, yeah. And again, I think that Holy Spirit, it teaches us and and, and guides us. And if you think about Paul, you know, the way he, you know, when he goes around in a lot of his books, he, he was directly guided by the Holy Spirit. Yeah? And the story before I, in 16, what I'm going to talk about now, he literally didn't go to places because the Holy Spirit said, don't go in there. You know, let to give there, gives him a vision. No, you're not going there, you're going over here. So I think, you know, let us have lives that are sort of um, that open, I think, to the Holy Spirit. Okay, so with this in mind, I'd like to explore one of the stories of the Bible, yeah, and pull out some of its principles and stuff. Yeah, is that okay? Hopefully we can come the best versions of ourselves. Who likes a story? I love a story. Who is that? Chai said that? Who is that? Chai said I love a story. Love the stories of the Bible. Excellent. All right, so let's give me the, I'll give you the context. This is in Acts 16. I'll give you the context of the story. So again, like I said, it's after the risen Christ. Um, but this is when the, um, the disciples had been, um, you know, the sort of dedicated followers. They'd been really persecuted in Jerusalem and they were going out to the sort of four corners and sort of spreading the word um, of Jesus. And obviously Paul was probably one of the main um, people who did that, but so did all the other apostles. Um, I think Paul got a lot more opportunity to write about it and stuff. That's how come he probably makes up most of the New Testament. And I think just in the background, we must, we've got to remember, and again, it's important to this story, is that the people who actually condemned um, the new, the, the new Christians or the new people who followed Christ were the Jews. Okay. Um, now, who wrote this book is Luke, um, and, and also the characters there are Timothy and Silas. They're all travelling with Paul. Now, this is a bit of a long story, so I, please give me um, some patience with it and stuff, and I'll try to read it through. Actually, Cole told me I've got to pause. So I'll pause, shall I? Cole told me you speak way too quick and you move on too quick. I apologise. Didn't listen to him. Okay, so this starts in Acts 16, 16 to 40. 
Once we were, when we were going to a place of prayer, we, met by, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she preached the future. She earned a great deal of money. Let me take these off. It's probably better without them. She earned a great deal of money um, for her owner by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are the servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. That's pretty easy, isn't it? Job done. Hey, look at that. Isn't that nice? She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. Amazing miracle. Well done, Paul. When the owners realized that um, their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined into the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates um, ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they then... Through, they were then thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them into the inner cell and fastened them, um, their feet into the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and then the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prisons were shaken. And at once all the prison doors flew open and every chain was loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked them, sir, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, and you and your household. Then they, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer then, um, sorry, then took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately him and his household were baptized. The jailers brought them into the house and set a meal before them, and he filled them with joy because he came to believe in God, he and his whole household. Then, in the <clears throat> amazing, eh? When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer and ordered, Release those men! The jailer told Paul. Then the magistrate had ordered they, sorry, the magistrate had t ordered that you and Silas be released. How can you leave? Sorry, now you can leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now, and now do they want to get, us, to get rid of us quickly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. 
They came to appease them and also escort them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with their brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. What a cracking story. Hey? Hopefully you guys can see why I was interested in this story. <clears throat> Sorry that was a bit long, but I think that's an incredible story. Now, I think obviously you can probably pull so much stuff out of this. And I must admit, every time that I read stories and you have to preach about them, let me tell you, you get so much out of them. Yeah. So I think that one of those things that we pray about before we, you know, we read the Bible is, do we, do we say, please let this speak to me, Lord? Open up my heart. Yeah? Let it be something that comes. So like I said, there's probably many things that you can pull out of this story. So let's go back to the start with the lady who had the spirit in her. So she was, this was, um, she was sort of known as like it was a python spirit, yeah, a demonic spirit. Um, the pythons were a mystical snake worshipped by the um, Delphi, Delphi and associated with the Delphi oracle. Yeah. So this was an obvious sort of, and again, this was another sort of worship sort of that would have been going on in the city. And again, certainly um, Paul and those guys would have known and certainly seen that. But I find it interesting that even the, even the evil spirit knew who Christ was. Yeah, and yelled it out. Yeah, and uh, he had no, you know, no promise, no, no qualms about who was actually in front of him. And if you actually think about this over in the story about in Mark, over in Mark 5 to 7, you remember there was that, the, the guy when they went over from one side, one side of the river to the other side, and there was that crazy man that was in the graveyard. This is what he said. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Exactly the same thing, yeah? What do you want with me? In God's names, don't torture me. Even all the spirits, yeah? They know who these guys are. They know who, who God is, which I just found fascinating, yeah? I think that, you know, we sort of sometimes sit here going, oh, is it all real, is it not? Yeah? Let me tell you, mate. The uh, Satan and his crew don't think it's not. They very much know it is. All right, I've got a couple of principles, hopefully, to pull out of this. Again, you can probably pull out a million more. Um, first one is, your past will influence you, but it doesn't have to define you. Yeah, your past will influence you, but it doesn't have to define you. Now, Paul's past kept him pretty humble most of the time. You read about Paul, his past kept him humble. Yeah, everyone remembers who Paul's past was. He was a Pharisee who went around crucifying the Christians, yeah, until... Christ intervened in his life personally, and then he became probably the biggest advocate for him. But one thing that probably that his walk did is it kept him a humble person. Yeah. Um, now you must you probably listen to that story right at the beginning and think, oh look, this this uh, this woman's helping them. You know what I mean? Telling everyone who they are. Yeah. But let's face it, it would have become pretty annoying. I'm going to do a bit of speculation, but I'm thinking from Paul's point of view, it probably would have been pretty annoying having someone walk around yelling that for three days, constantly everywhere you're going. Now, you've got to remember, Paul, Paul is a passionate man. He was a traditional man. He was a Pharisee. He was probably used to, he was a religious leader, yeah? He certainly knew all of the Old Testament and stuff, and he would have probably, he would have been comfortable teaching that. I just want us to jump back one little bit just to the, to the verses just before this story is told. Yeah, This is when Paul first comes to the city where he's been directed not to go this way and he first comes to this city. Yeah, And this is what happens. On the Sabbath, we went out. Sorry, this is in um, 
Where is it in? It's in Acts 16, 13 to 15. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gates to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to a woman who had gathered there. One, um, one of these listening was a woman from the city of... How do you say that? Thyrosa, from, um, named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. Now, purple cloth meant that she was a very rich person, yeah? This was sort of put out to most people. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Um, when, she, when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited them to her house. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come to and stay at my house. Um, and she pursu- and, sorry, and as, as she persuaded them. Uh, sorry, persuaded us. Sorry, this is my, um, this is Luke speaking, and they persuaded us. Yeah. So this is Paul's experience the day before, whenever it was, a little bit before the story we're talking about. So Paul found a nice, quiet place to to pray. Now, does anyone know why he went down to a river and stuff to pray? Because Jewish people were known to be there. Yeah? Jewish people would go and find a river. They would go and find somewhere nice to pray. So Paul would go and generally, and if you read most of his stories, he would go and try to find the Jews that were in any city. Remember, he's talking about people that were scattered everywhere. So Paul went and actually found all the people that were Jews. Who was Paul asked to go and preach to? To the Gentiles. Yeah? So Paul was probably going to places that he found comfortable. Yeah. Now, the reality, look, I'm speculating, but the reality is I think that Paul probably felt very comfortable about sitting around and teaching the people. So this is his experience the day before. He goes to a river, and there's some people there praying, and he talks to a woman. He tells her about God. She sort of knows a little bit about God, converts to Christianity. Lovely. Come back and stay in my house. She was a, very, she was a wealthy woman. Talks about her later in the Bible where he come back and stayed with her again. She was a wealthy lady. Yeah. So then... That's probably Paul's experience. So Paul, the next day, where's he going? He's getting up to go to a nice, quiet place to pray again with people. What happens along the way? This woman, who's obviously got a demon inside her, is yelling all day long, you are the high God, the people are coming to... Yeah? So this is Paul, he's like, I want to go by the river and just sit down there and pray and talk to people nicely. And then this woman's like... So I think that Paul had a bit of a moment. Yeah? I'm speculating, but I think he probably had a bit of a moment, a bit of a human sort of moment. Remember, he's a passionate man, Paul. <clears throat> I think just <laughs> get out, spirit, get out of a, you know what I mean? Whether he knew what the ramification was, that was, but I think the reality was he sort of, that sort of happened, yeah? So I think, you know, I think we have ways of working, and sometimes we get really caught in that. I'm wondering, did Paul just get into, okay, this is how God's working with me now. I'm putting him out there and I'm sort of going. And again, he's gone to something that's probably comfortable to him. Sitting around and talking with Jewish people about God is probably comfortable to Paul. Yeah? And again, he saw it work the day before. That's how God works and stuff. I think Paul, I think God's stretching Paul. He's like, okay, Paul, that's one way of it happening. Here's another way. So he goes, yeah. And I think, do we? Do we are, are we people that sort of only work in a certain way? Think God's only going to work in a certain way, the way we talk to it and stuff like that? I don't think that that's always the way. So I think it's interesting, I think, that if you look at probably Paul, and again, a lot of speculation there, but I think it's, it's interesting, I think, that the way God works. And I think, you know, for me, a lesson to learn out of this is God doesn't wipe your past, yeah, but he will use it to your advantage, yeah? When we are weak, we are strong. And I think that, you know, I think that that sort of shouts at me in this sort of story. Second thing, you may be punished for doing what you think is right. 
Yeah, so Paul, you know, we come down that story. So, okay, he's healed that woman. Looks like a noble thing to do, heal that woman. Yeah, but at the end of the day, that wasn't so good, was it? <laughs> because that guy, he earned a lot of money out of that lady, you know what I mean? So sometimes I think there's things that we probably do in our lives that we think are a good thing. But the reality is sometimes it's actually going to probably um, cause grief to other people. And how we respond, how we respond to that, I think counts a lot. It counts a lot on who we are. Now, they, he, these guys were clearly um, had, were slandered, yeah? They, they'll say, you're a Jew that's going to cause a riot. Were they Jews that were going to cause a riot? Not at all. These were, you know, they did a miracle, but they certainly didn't associate themselves at that time, probably, with people that did that. So they, you know, so very much slandered against them. And as we found out at the end of the story, Paul could have easily pulled that forward and gone, I'm actually a Roman citizen. Don't you be doing that to me, yeah? But he didn't, did he? He was like, no. Nope. So let, let what was coming actually come. So I think at the end of the day, sometimes we may be in situations, you know what I mean? And I think how we respond to trouble and disappointment will really determine who we are. Yeah? Now, it's not always going to be easy. And I don't think anyone in this room who's probably walked out Christianity for a long time is it going to be easy. But I think at the end of the day, we need to know that God has always got our back and he will always be there with us. Yeah? Number three. Who you associate with really counts. I think the, per- the person in this story that's probably the most unbelievable character is Silas. Yeah? So Paul. Paul's Paul. Yeah. Paul's a cracker, isn't he, really? Paul's an unbelievable sort of character. Paul's the one who sort of, you know, pulls a demon out. He's the one who publicly sort of does this um, thing. But Silas, Silas is the easy side, easy's mate. Yeah? So he gets shoved and beaten. Yeah? Let's be facing, you know, he got beaten really bad. And then gets shucked into the stocks, you know, beside Paul into the inner sanctum, yeah, which was dark. And, you know, as you pointed out this morning, Leanne, dark. And not only were they in there, they were in chains in there, yeah? I don't know if I'd really been that excited with Paul, yeah? I'm just talking for me. If I was Paul's mate and I was sitting beside him in there, probably the last thing I'd be doing is singing hymns. I'd be probably saying, Paul, could you just keep your mouth shut next time? Could you just not say things in public? Could you just calm yourself? But he didn't, did he? You know what I mean? What did Silas do? Silas is in there and he's right with him. Yeah, he took it all with him and he's singing hymns with him. Yeah, so I think, I think who we have in our lives really, really counts. You know, I mean, who we have as close friends, you know, they really will be there when we really need them. You know what I mean? I think they are. So, and again, when you're younger, you probably have to, you have friends in your life that maybe they're not the best friends. Maybe they're friends that are just there because, like I said, they live next door to you or you go to school. I think the great thing I love about the older I get, the more I really don't care about what I look like or who, all those sorts of things that you probably worry so much about, hanging with the cool people, hanging with all the... I actually choose who I let into my world now, yeah? And I think that we need to be people, and we need to help teach our young guys, you know what I mean? Have people in your lives that are beneficial for you, you know? And you can't demand that of people, but you can point out when things are not... don't marry up. Are these people helpful? Are they, are they people who stand by you when things are? Or are they people who don't? Um, so, yeah, I think... Choose wisely with our friends, you know. I mean, they're going to be a huge influence on your life. Um, and just a note that I think is to, to that is that we're not saved by association, yeah? It, 
and, and sometimes I think people get into a false sense of security that I'm, I know these people or I'm part of this church or I'm part of this gang or this is my fam. The reality is we are individual people, yeah? And our walk is with God as an individual thing. So sometimes I don't think, you know, we, we shouldn't let those sorts of who we are with sort of dominate. Does that make sense? So I know that's sort of opposite to what I was probably just saying, but I think it's important that who we have in our lives, but don't, don't think that, oh, just because I'm part of this church or something, that's all good. The reality is it's your walk and your personal thing. Number four, believe God can perform miracles, yeah? Do we have the level of faith and belief in, in seeing things that are unseen? You know what I mean? Now, those boys could have responded in any way. Like I said, if I was put in that, if I was Silas and I was beside Paul, I'd probably been upset. But at the end of the day, you know, I mean, these boys, where are they? They're in the worst place. They've been beaten. You know, and again, just think of their reality. The day before, yeah, you're working miracles, going with people, going all over the place. Next day, beaten and, in, and put into a jail, yeah? But at the end of the day, how'd they respond? They just responded by worshipping God and going, okay, God, whatever this is, you've got it, yeah? And I think that, you know, are we people that believe that miraculous things can happen? You know what I mean? The foundation's shaking, all of the chains coming off. Like, really? Really? Do you know what I mean? But are we people who can believe that? You know, and it's interesting sometimes um, that we, and I find it, you know, because I, I find it very interesting that Paul would go and hang out with Jews. Because who were the Jewish people? They were the ones that were persecuting them. They were the ones in Jerusalem who were the ones who led the Roman people to persecute them. But he wanted to hang with And I think sometimes we get put off by people that maybe have some sort of a faith or some belief in God. You know what I mean? We get put off by that. Sometimes we want to talk to people that have no belief in God because they say that seems simple. But the reality is if someone's got a sense of God, I think it's talk to them. They've got some sense of God. You know what I mean? And I think that it's important. I think that, you know, if we're going to talk to people about faith, at least talk to people that have some sort of a faith. I mean, then you can actually go, okay, this is Christ and this is what's really important and him different about every other thing. So I think sometimes us, yeah. I don't know, maybe that's just my brain. I actually don't mind talking to people that have some sort of faith because I think at least they sort of have some sort of belief. And I think we need to be people who believe in miraculous things that can actually happen, you know? Because I think life is just, there's going to be too many people that just tell you, no, no, it's all just rubbish. It's all just not going to be happening. No, it's not true. Five. Is everyone with me? Right? Five. There's only one after this one, so don't worry. Won't be here for too long. Show mercy. It will always speak louder. Shame, mercy. Yeah. Why did that jailer, why was a jailer going to kill himself? For every person who escaped from a jail at that time, you would have to pay with your life. You lost a person from your jail, you'd pay with your life. So when that jailer, when all the chains are off, he's like, oh no, there it goes. I may as well just do myself in. But it wasn't only that Paul and Silas were still in there. Who else was still in there? All the other people. Yeah. So all these other people were either listening to the hymns or whatever those boys were singing. So why wouldn't have all the other boys run away? Freedom. They didn't. Yeah. Gosh, God works in amazing ways, yeah. And again, I think this is such, a, such an example that, yeah, we show mercy. Mercy will always speak louder than any words, yeah. It'll speak louder than any sort of constructed argument we have or some godly correction we bring someone. Yeah. That's unfortunately sometimes we're known far too much for correcting people, arguing with people. Showing mercy in times of need like that will speak louder than any other thing that we can do. Way louder. And I think in this it did, didn't it? It spoke to this jailer and his family. Not only did he get saved, his entire family got saved. 
You know what I mean? And this is the early days. And if you think about Christianity, there is no way in a, in a logical world that Christianity should be even spoken about now. No way. It was not backed by anyone. Yeah, it was sort of one of those things that back then, this is some little guy, and if you actually look at other sort of things, there's, there's no massive thing about Jesus and stuff like that in the past, you know, before that. The reality is this was sort of one person who was put to death and stuff like that, little small group of believers and stuff. But because of their persecution and how it got put out there, you know what I mean? It's insane, you know what I mean? And I think, um, you know, I think God's that sort of, you know, the thing that was in houses, it was in little sort of places and stuff like that. But I think, you know, the thing that speaks loudest is, on all that is that um, the mercy that sort of those people would have shown. People, yeah. Okay, does that make sense? Again, because the whole family was saved, you know what I mean? I think that God worked in a way that wasn't just an individual that was sort of saved in that time. It was an entire family. And who knows what that family then went on and did and stuff like that, yeah? So I, think I, find, it, I find it interesting that most of the time out of persecution, God spread the word, Yeah? Okay, last one. There's a time to take a stand. There's a time to take a stand. Yeah? Now, Paul, in his wisdom, probably, well, maybe after his sort of bit of, you know, humanity, he was, he could have, again, like I said, stood up and said, I'm a Jew, but he didn't. He said, when did he do it, though? When did he go, okay, I'm going to pull these guys to account because you've just flogged me and put me in jail. Okay, I'm released. When did he say, yeah? Because what he could have easily walked out, couldn't he? He could have said, thanks a lot, they've let me go. But what did he do? He said, no, no, no. I want the magistrates to come down here because you didn't even ask that I was a Roman, yeah? And you've just beaten a Roman. So let me tell you, those magistrates would have been beside themselves because persecuting a Jew is one thing. Having no trial and whipping a Roman in public, those boys would have been done for, yeah? Why did he do it? Why did Paul bring that to attention then? Was it because he wanted to make himself feel better? For the local believers. Yeah. He did that for the local believers. For the people who were starting, who the people, you know, that Lydia, the people who were in that area who had actually started to become Christians, it gave credibility to what they were doing, what they were talking about. So I think one of those principles we've got to think about, if we make a stand and stuff like that, it shouldn't really be for our own glory. It should be because it betters other people or it's better for the church or it's better for people who are believers, you know what I mean? So the, the reason Paul did that was nothing to do with anything else but boosting those Christians who were already there, people who were Christ believers. It gave validation to them, yeah? So I think that that's, yeah, to me that's a good principle for us. <clears throat> and I think at the end of the day, if you look at the, if it all, if you pan this out into two stories, is God's achieved salvations, one beside a nice quiet river and one through pain in jail through miraculous movings, yeah? So I think at the end of the day, God will always do that. And I think God will work through you, yeah? He will to develop the best version of you to achieve his purpose. Does that make sense? God will work through you to make the best purpose. Okay. Let me just summarize now. Okay. So let me just, I'll just recap for us all. Is that okay? This one? Okay. So just, I think, as, uh, let us just be people who remember, yeah? God doesn't erase our past, but he'll use it for good. Yeah? He will take, um, we may take flack for being Christians and for witnessing for him. Any person in this room who hasn't taken flack for being a Christian, I don't know, maybe you've never told anyone, 
because usually when you do, you will. But that's okay. Yeah, God will be with you. Um, who I count as my close friends is deeply important. Always share mercy. Mercy has got to be one of those things we lead with. We shouldn't be leading with anything else if we haven't led with mercy. And take a stand when it means that it'll be meaningful for others, yeah? Let us be people who take a stand. So thank you for letting me speak today and enjoy your Father's Day. That was awesome, Swelly. Might get you to pray for us, Swelly, before you go. So good to hear from you and look at the life of Paul. And we might finish with praise if the band want to come up. Eternal Lord, Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the ability to be able to come here and meet today, Lord, and learn more about you, Lord. We thank you so much for the examples that you have given us in the Bible, Lord. Let us be people who truly drink your word in, Lord. Let it be something that comes into our deepest of souls, Lord, that we are, and that when we speak out, it's something that just comes out of us, Lord. Let us be people that learn, and, and again, that we can teach people, Lord. Let us be people who do it out of love, do it out of mercy, and we thank you so much for the people that you've put in the Bible, Lord, and all the things that they went through that we can learn from them, Lord, and let us be people who truly apply these things to our lives, Lord, not in a righteous way, Lord, but in a way, Lord, that just softens our hearts and let us be true representation of who you are. Let us be people that witness to the world of who you were and the love that you bring to them, Lord. Let it, let it be something that's real. Let us be people that are bold in it, Lord. Yeah, and we thank you so much for that. And we thank you for all the fathers in the house and, and all of the, um, yeah, all the people that, um, that, that, yeah, just want to be the best fathers they can, Lord. Again, I just ask them, you give them the tools to do that, Lord. And we thank you that you are all our Heavenly Father, Lord. Um, and we thank you for these things in your son's name. Jesus Christ, amen. amen.